you know, bad news is all around us. We uh, see the images of earthquakes and tsunamis and thousands and thousands of people being killed internationally. We, we see the, the headlines in our own culture of shootings and carnage and violence. And we read or see one bad news story after another. More bad news, more bad news. We see this negative posting, that negative posting, this negative tweet, that negative tweet. We're always face-to-face with bad news. We're always face-to-face with pain. But not only that, every one of us has the weight of trouble and heartache in our own lives. Whether there are health issues or or marriage issues or problems with, with children, job issues, financial hardships, you name it, this list could be endless. There are just always all kinds of weight and trouble. You see, living in a fallen world means that we're going to face a lot of heartache. How do we face all of this bad news, all of this pain, all of this suffering? How do we face it all and stay sane? And not only that, how do we maintain a life of joy and peace in the face of all of the difficulty and hardship? How do we avoid the pitfalls of fear and anxiety and depression? Well, these are the questions that I want us to think about this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 4. We'll read Philippians 4 verses 4 through 9 together in a moment. You'll remember that the book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi by the Apostle Paul. This was a solid church, but Paul wanted to to help this church continue on in their their faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. Now, this morning, we're going to focus on verses 4 through 7, and the next week in part 2 of this message, we'll focus on verses 6 through 9 and and look at at, uh, uh, this passage in a a two-part way. Uh, So let's look this morning at Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This text teaches that you should live a life of joy and peace in Christ. This text teaches that you should live a life of joy and peace in Christ. But how do we do that? Let's look in verse 4. Here in verse 4, Paul revisits a theme that we've seen over and over in the book of Philippians. The theme of joy. He urges the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And then what does he say? He reiterates this. He repeats himself. I say it again. Rejoice. So... Paul issues a command to the Philippians. Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice. And it leaves us asking the question, Paul, how how can this be? How can we rejoice when the circumstances of life are sour, when the circumstances of life are bitter? And the Philippians themselves, they they were facing persecution for their faith. They were facing hardship for, 
for following this, this new movement, Christianity. And so they were facing a lot to walk with Christ. And Paul's telling them in the midst of these hardships, in the midst of these difficulties, rejoice. But I want you to notice what Paul says. He doesn't say rejoice in the hard times, rejoice in the agony and in the pain. He says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So what Paul means is this, that whatever the circumstances of life are, Whatever the circumstances may be, it's possible for believers to rejoice in the Lord. What what does Paul mean? It's possible for believers to have great joy because they're in Christ, because they know the Lord Jesus. After all, think about the promises that we have as believers. The promises that He'll never let us go. The promise that one day we'll spend eternity with Him. The promise that the Spirit will come to dwell in us. And that the Spirit gives peace and strength and help in the midst of trouble and hardship. I mean, the list could go on of the ways that being in Christ means a fruitful life here. And means an incredible, wonderful eternity. So Paul says, rejoice if you're in Christ. Not in the bad circumstances. You're not celebrating that you got bad news. But your heart can be filled with joy because you know Him. So how do we live a life of peace and joy according to verse 4? Well, have the right attitude. Have the right attitude. One author wrote, Imagine an 8-year-old boy playing with a toy truck and then it breaks. And this boy cries out for his parents to fix the truck. And yet, as he's crying, his father says to him, Listen, son, I want you to know that that we just got word that a distant relative that you've never met passed away, and they left you $100 million. And the author asked, what's the boy going to do? Is he suddenly going to stop crying and go, oh, I don't care about the truck? And he said, more than likely, the boy's going to continue to cry. And you try to tell him that he's about to get $100 million one day. He's not going to hear you because what's he worried about? He's worried about the broken truck. And he refuses to be consoled by what's ahead. He refuses to be consoled by all that's truly his. And in the same way, Christians, we often lack the spiritual capacity to realize all that we truly have in Jesus. We're like the eight-year-old boy who rests his happiness in his circumstances. The truck's broken. But who refused to recognize all that we really have in Christ. So you must make the choice to rejoice. You must make the choice to, to rejoice. You have to choose the right attitude. Remember that when Paul writes these words, he's sitting in a prison. He's been unjustly imprisoned for his faith. And he's telling the Philippians, have the right perspective. Keep rejoicing. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we avoid becoming bitter in the midst of the hardships of life, in the midst of the kind of intense pain that life can bring? Well, we keep focusing on what we have in Christ And on those promises. If you choose to dwell on all the heartaches of life, you can make yourself miserable. You look at all the negative things around the world, all the negative things in your own life, you can find yourself at the bottom of a pit in total misery. But Paul is saying to the Philippians, don't live there. 
You could live there, but don't live there. Instead, live a life of rejoicing, having the right attitude. Now, I want to reemphasize the fact that this is a command. It's a command for believers. Our attitude is up to us. We can't play the victim. We must choose to have the right attitude. And with God's help, we can. We can rejoice in the midst of hardship. We can rejoice in the midst of pain. So how do you live a life of joy? Well, we've seen first that you must have the right attitude. But how else do you live a life of joy and peace? Let's look in verse 5. Paul issues here in verse 5 another command. He says, let your graciousness or your gentleness be evident to all. Well, the word for graciousness or gentleness in the Greek captures the idea of showing mercy, uh, of of showing someone uh, mercy even when they've messed up, of bearing with someone even when they have weaknesses and, and failures. So this is a person who displays graciousness, who's not selfish or always trying to have trouble with people, but instead, in the midst of being wrong, they they strive to to bear with a person. They strive to show a person mercy, much like they've been shown mercy in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. And notice at the end of verse 5, what does Paul say? He says, Christ is near. What's he saying to the Philippians? Show mercy to others. Show graciousness to others. Remember that Christ is with you, and he's shown you those things. He's right here with you. Live as if this were true in the way that you treat others. So how do you live a life of joy and peace? Well, verse 5 says you must have a merciful spirit toward others. You must have a a merciful spirit toward others. Now, I love dogs. I'm crazy about dogs. I don't have one right now, but Because between children and church, I stay pretty busy. I probably need to make time for a dog, especially for my kiddos, but but I haven't yet. I grew up with a German shepherd and then later a black lab, and I was crazy about those dogs. I've always been a a dog lover, but there was one type of dog that I could never stand. It's going to be offensive to some of you, and I apologize for that ahead of time. But chihuahuas. (laughs) I can't stand chihuahuas. I always thought of a chihuahua as a cat masquerading as a dog. I mean, you, you, you look at a chihuahua and you, you think, you know, it's about the size of a cat. And when it comes to attitude and temperament, they're a lot like cats or maybe worse. You know, they're always in a gripey mood. They're always grouchy and growly. But brothers and sisters, how often, how often... Might it be that we're more like a chihuahua than a lab? Truthfully. How often might it be that we're much more gripey and growly than we are gracious? What we see here is that God is calling us to live out our faith in the context of our relationships with others. It's possible to to be a grouch and to complain about everything, to be a curmudgeon, to, to, to see the negative in everything and to treat people with that kind of little growling attitude. But friend, I want you to know it does not honor God. It's not the way that God has treated you. And ultimately, it will not lead to a life of joy and peace. It leads to a heart filled with turmoil. You're always seeing all the negatives in everyone else. 
Instead of trying to show graciousness, you're always being critical. So what is your mindset toward the weaknesses of others? Is it critical or is it merciful? James 2.13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How do you handle the weaknesses of others? Are you merciful? Do you strive to live at peace with others, displaying forgiveness and, and mercy? Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, we know that it's not always possible because of the attitude of the other person. But as believers, regardless of the attitude of the other person, we're supposed to strive to live at peace and to extend mercy and graciousness toward others. So let me say again, you will not live a life filled with joy and peace when your focus is constantly on the weaknesses of others. It won't happen. So seek to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Seek to show mercy as Christ has been merciful to you. Seek to live at peace with others as you live at peace with God through Christ. So how do you live a life of joy and peace? Well, we've seen first that you must have the right attitude. Second, you must have a, a merciful spirit. But how else do you live a life of joy and peace? Let's look in verse 6. Paul instructs the Philippians not to worry. Now, the word that's used here for worry is used in, the, in a positive sense in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. So the word for worry can mean something that we should avoid, or it can mean that we have concern for something. So... What Paul is talking about is not a positive concern for something, but it's a heaviness that, that weighs on our hearts, that is accompanied by angst and, and fear. Paul says, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Do not have a burdened heart that's weighed down. Paul uses the very same word for, for anxious or worry also in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28 in reference to his concern for the churches. He's worried, if you will, or concerned for the churches, that, that they would be strong and Christ-honoring. So Paul's not suggesting that a person just sort of has an indifferent attitude. Oh, well, whatever happens, happens. I don't care. It can be this, it can be that, whatever. He's not talking about that kind of resignation toward life. What Paul is saying, as one commentator said, is that Paul is urging us to, worry, to, to avoid the kind of worry that unhinges, that paralyzes, that incapacitates. Now, this word for worry is most often used uh, in the New Testament when Jesus teaches about worry. In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, the Sermon on the Mount, and a similar message in Luke 12, 11 through 26, where he reminds believers that, that God's eye is on them, that God's going to take care of them. So Paul is saying to the Philippians, don't live weighted down by fear and angst. Don't live there. Don't do that. But notice that Paul says, don't worry about anything. And we want to say to Paul, are you kidding me? Don't worry about anything? Paul, what about the fact that I just lost my job? Oh, don't worry about anything, Paul? No big deal. Or what about the fact that I just got my test results back from the doctor and they were not at all what I'd hoped for? Paul, don't worry about anything. Oh, don't worry about that. It's no big deal. How can Paul say, don't worry about anything? How can Paul make such a statement? This is the reason. Because Paul recognizes that God is sovereign. That, that God's the ruler of the universe. And that our circumstances 
that our circumstances are in his hands. They come as no surprise to God. The circumstances that we find ourselves, they haven't shocked him. No, God's at work in the midst of the hard, in the midst of, of tough circumstances. Paul wrote about this to the church at Rome. We, we talked about it this morning in Bible study classes, most of us did. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So, so why can Paul say, don't worry about anything? Because Paul recognizes that God has his children in his hands. And that whatever he allows into the lives of his children, he's at work. That's why Paul can say, don't worry about anything. So he could confidently tell the Philippians, do not worry. The hardships that they face, they were in the hands of a God who loved them, who works for their good. So how do you live a life of joy and peace as we think about verse 6? Well, to put it simply, do not worry. Do do not worry. Now, a commercial pilot recently spoke about the, the issues that bring anxiety to flyers on a plane. And he said the number one cause of anxiety for flyers was turbulence. And this is what the pilot said. For all intents and purposes, a plane cannot be flipped upside down, thrown into a tailspin, or otherwise flung from the sky by even the mightiest gust or air pocket. He said conditions might be annoying and uncomfortable, but the plane is not going to crash. Turbulence is an aggravating nuisance for everybody, including the crew. But it's also, for lack of a better term, normal. From a pilot's perspective, it's ordinarily seen as a convenience issue, not a safety issue. When a flight changes altitude in search of smoother conditions, this is by and large in the interest of comfort. He continues, the pilots aren't worried about the wings falling off. They're trying to keep the customers relaxed and everybody's coffee where it belongs. In the worst of it, you probably imagine the pilots in a sweaty lather, the captain barking orders, hands tied on the wheel as the ship lifts from side to side. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, as you face the turbulence of life, are you filled with anxiety? Do you find yourself weighted down and scared by all of the possibilities? Well, this pilot reminds us that the turbulence creates much more anxiety than danger. And friends, the turbulence that is in your life isn't cause for worry and fear. It's cause to trust the pilot. He holds your life in his hands. It's cause to trust him, to hold fast to him. Do you live a life that's filled with anxiety and fear? Where these things weigh you down? God doesn't intend for you to live that way. It's not His plan for you. He wants you to find rest in Him, in His character, in who He is. Now you need to work to control your thinking. When our thoughts begin to spiral, oh, this could happen and that could happen, we have to... We have to remember, no, God calls me not to worry. I can't allow my mind to go all of those places. We have to, we have to control our thinking. I've often heard this called stinking thinking. And, and you have to come to the place where you say, God, I'm not going to let myself go down that path. I'm, I'm not going to be marked by, by stinking thinking. God, I'm going to think about your word and what's true. What, what's, what's true? 
By God's grace, friends, we must control our thoughts if we wouldn't worry, if we wouldn't be people filled with fear. Allow the sovereignty of God to be your comfort. He is in control. He rules the universe. Your life circumstances, if you belong to him, they're in his hands. He's at work in the midst of them. That great English preacher of the 19th century, preaching in London, Charles Spurgeon, said this, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. See the fact that God is sovereign enables us to find peace and comfort, indeed rest. Life's not out of control. The the plates are not flying every direction. No, they're still spinning. God's still running the show, even in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our difficulty. So we trust Him and we rest in His sovereignty. How else can we avoid worrying? Well, one is to read the Word, daily taking in the Word of God and and memorizing Scriptures. We'll talk more about this next week together. I want us for a moment to think about some practical helps for anxiety and depression. Now, these are not in this text, but they're an outworking of applying this text because the text says, do not worry. Well, you remember Elijah. Elijah was a great prophet of God, and God did miracle after miracle after miracle with the prophet Elijah. And after some amazing ways that God used him, Elijah found himself scared to death. And he despaired of life. He was suicidal. The great prophet Elijah was suicidal. After he had seen God work in amazing and miraculous ways, how could he be that? It reminds us of our frailty. It reminds us that we're all just flesh and bones, that we're weak. But what did Elijah need? Did he need to fall on his knees before the Lord and fast for hours upon hours? You know what the Lord did for Elijah? He gave him rest and refreshment. He needed to sleep. And so he slept and an angel came and ministered to him by bringing him food. Now, I don't want to make too much of this text, but I think that that something is evident here. Something is obvious here. God has made us embodied people. What happens in our bodies has an effect on us spiritually, just as what happens spiritually has an effect on, on our physical bodies. I think Elijah's story reminds us of the importance of getting good sleep, of getting good rest. And if we would avoid worrying, one of the most spiritual things we could do is to go to bed and try to get sleep. Now, you may go to sleep and you may not be able to sleep and and you have to sort through that and work through that, but to the degree that you can, work toward that. Getting a good night's sleep, eating a healthy diet. These are practical things that have an impact on us. Practical ways that we can strive to live out the do not worry command. Not only that, in 1 Timothy 4.8, when Paul talks to Timothy about pursuing godliness, in the midst of his encouragement to Timothy to pursue godliness, he also says to Timothy, Physical training is of some value. So so what do we see here? The the word reminds us that exercising and staying in shape is good for us. And and so one of the ways that you can help yourself uh, is is to get some exercise. Go for a walk every day. Go for a, a run. 
every day. Those are things that can help us. These are practical ways that God has given us by His common grace to live out the command, do not worry. Taking good care of the body that God has given us. Now, if anxiety or depression has you in its grip and it's holding you and you're feeling that paralyzed feeling, you're feeling that that feeling of of being incapacitated, I want to encourage you, get some help. Don't walk that path alone. Talk with a mature Christian friend. Talk with with one of the pastors. Talk with a solid Christian counselor, maybe, maybe with your physician. God doesn't intend for you to live in that pit. Friend, don't live there. It's not, it's not God's plan for you. His plan is that you not worry because your life is in His hands. Because He cares for you and loves you. Daniel Ritchie was a man who was born without arms. At his birth, the doctors asked his parents if they preferred to just let him go. And thankfully, his parents said, no, we we want our baby boy disabled. Yes, we want him. We don't want to let him go. Richie says that growing up as a boy was filled with all kinds of challenges, you can imagine. He said that he was constantly told that, that he was a hopeless mistake, that he was insufficient that he would never lead a full life. This is what he heard over and over again as a boy. He said that as a young man, he was crippled, absolutely crippled with depression. He said because of how others treated him and because of how he was constantly told, you'll never do this, you can't do that. He said he was bullied, he was laughed at, he was left out, and he was broken and discouraged. But at the age of 15, God rescued and redeemed Richie. And this is what Richie says. He began to show me how precious my life was in spite of my disability. He said through Christ, he began to overcome the depression and the heartache that he knew. Now, Richie is a husband, a father, a pastor, an author, a conference speaker. He enjoys wrestling with his kids. He enjoys the outdoors, a good cup of coffee, watching football. Oh, God has done a great work in Richie, and he's recently written a book in which he tells a story of how Christ has helped him overcome in the face of great odds. Here's a man who's thriving and living life to the full, and yet all through life, people had told him, it's not going to matter, it's not going to count, your life can't, it can't be anything. Now, friend, I know that you face adversity And you face hardship. That's life, this side of Genesis 3. I know you do. But I want you to know through Christ, you can live a life of joy and peace. You can live a life that's filled with joy and peace. So draw close to Him. Find life in Him. Believers, what's the step that you need to take? Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to take that step that will help you to live a life that's marked by joy and peace in Christ. For, for some, it's going to begin spiritually refueling your heart. You're going to need daily to begin to read the Word. And that's what's going to help you live 
a life that's filled with greater joy and peace. Just exposure to the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, praying back the Word of God to Him. For others of you, you need to ask the Lord to, to work on your heart because you've got a critical spirit toward others. And instead of living a life of joy and peace, you're always, you're always nitpicking people. And so what, what do you need to do? You need to ask the Lord, help me to have a merciful heart toward others. God, like, like you've shown me mercy. And still others need to work on being very disciplined in their thinking. Recognizing I can't allow myself to think all of these what-if thoughts. God, I, I've got to come back to who you are and that I'm in your hands. So, so what is the next step for you? Believers, I encourage you to take the next step, whatever God is calling you to, so that you can live the life of joy and peace that, that God intended for you to live. I want you to know there's hope. If you belong to Christ, there's hope. The sun the sun will shine again. Now, some of you are here, and your life may be filled with anxiety or fear, or maybe not. But you don't know the Lord Jesus. And if you're here, and you do not know Christ, I want you to know the, the joy and the peace that we've talked about this morning. That's not available to you. You see, that joy and that peace are for those who are in Christ. It's for those people who have said to Jesus, I know that I've sinned, I know that I've gone my own way, but I'm tired of living that life. I believe you died on the cross, Jesus, that you were buried and that you were raised to life and I want to follow you. And the Bible says that when you put your faith in Jesus like that, that God saves you and he saves you for all eternity. And that he gives you his spirit to dwell within your heart and his spirit helps you to have joy and peace and helps you to change and helps you to keep going in the face of difficulties and hardships and brokenness. So if you're here today and you've never called out to Jesus like that, if you've never been, as Jesus said, born again, then today I urge you to call out to Christ in faith. I'll be here. Ralph Huerta will be here. We would love to visit with you more about how you can know Jesus. Join me in prayer.